I'm slamming some Hennessy because I'm playing Odyssey on Amigos, episode 378. Hi, everybody. It's Amigos. I'm John. <laughs> I'm Aaron. And man, this was this was an effort to get this one going. This is why you don't stack on two shows after the marathon. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> you know, Aaron, I would say doing a gaming marathon is like an odyssey. It is. It's sorta. <laughs> it lots of uh, lots of horrible disasters, occasional wins followed by heinous losses. And sometimes when you take the trip on an Odyssey, you're accompanied by a complete jerk. And that's the Brent, in this case, who hounded me and accosted me through seven to eight hours of gaming. Now, if you could give just a five-minute sort of uh, teaser, because by the time that this comes out, I don't know when you plan on putting this up on the stream team. But what, you know, tell us some of the, what what can we look forward to on this year's Thanks for Giving Marathon? Well, I'd say Brent really angered me probably about seven times. And then some moderate anger spread throughout generously. And then some key elements of absurd super anger, I'd say two of those, where I just literally, there's a, I'm looking at a folding chair right there, and I wanted to get up, walk slowly over, and just pound him into the ground what like, about, was, like what, a spike. What about the time when he asked you what you would put on the wheel? Did you... <laughs> it's killing me. It's killing me. But hey, we got through it. That's another thanks for giving in the books. In case you're wondering at home, we, we're literally taping this, Amigos, directly after I just did a marathon, ARG presents. Thanks for giving marathon with the Brent. So we're, but we're, we can't stop. We won't stop. Plus, all the stuff's already set up. That's just true. To keep on going. That's true. Now, what would you consider to be the one Odyssey-like trip you've taken in your life? When you went to Texas Stadium with Terry, that one was particularly special because our putty had passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had all had tickets to see the Cowboys play the, the Redskins in the last. For the last time in Texas Stadium, if you're not a sports fan, it's probably didn't mean that much. It's sort of a big deal if you're a Cowboys fan. And I've never been to Texas Stadium or Texas or uh, Dallas or any place else. And our buddy was coming with us. And, well, he, unfortunately, right before the trip, he passed away. And so uh, we ended up, you know, sort of taking some of his stuff with us and took his ticket with us and took some pictures. And, you know, it, it was sad. But it was neat to drive all night across Arkansas in the pitch black and you know he didn't know if you're gonna make it and at the time the gas price was like five bucks a gallon and it was just crazy time so yeah I'd say that's a pretty good odyssey what mm-hmm. about you uh probably when I made my first trans Pacific flight that's that's pretty good yeah because uh, I had you know I flew from Charleston to New York City and to save money on the ticket because they would only reimburse me from a direct flight I had to check out and recheck in uh-huh. that old stick yeah. which means that I had to schlep all of my luggage across to a different terminal and this <laughs> is not just your regular carry-on this is two years worth of luggage because when you go to Korea you don't come back on the weekend you take everything with you what what when you how do you plan out what to take on a, a voyage of that size well when I, 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 I the way that I did it was wrong. That's how I would describe it. Yeah. I, the first thing was like, I definitely got to take my Xbox 360. Because right. that thing is nice and light. Yeah. Okay, so I threw that in there. Okay. Then I threw some various clothes, some of which I needed, some of which I never wore. Yeah. Like my pleather pants. How often do you think I wore those? You had a pair of pleather pants? Oh, yeah. Like a rock star? Yeah, yeah. I thought I'd be, I thought I'd be king in three Let me, let me ask you those. a question about those pants as a sidebar. 
Because pleather's not leather, but it's sort of like leather. Mm -hmm. How hot did those get? Hot. Real How hot. How sweaty did you get down in those things? Well, I never wore them in Korea. But so. did you wear them anywhere? Yeah, yeah. What occasion did you think to yourself, I'm John Bodecard Chawler. This is the night I break out the leather pants. Rocky Horror. Really? Yeah. That's why I bought them. Because my, my roommate, Tom, he had some. Did did you were you in the production? No, but you know you dress up when you go see Rocky. Really, right. and, you know, at, at any other time? No, that was it. Any dates you wore those on? Oh man, that's a good question. Like I might have. I might have worn Korea, them on a date. Did you date any of the ladies over there in yeah, Korea? I had a girlfriend you, over there. Okay, did you wear, wear the pants? No, the pants. Did you think to yourself, "This is how I show off the goods"? You know, now that I think about it, I don't think I brought those pants with me. <laughs> Well, you're already ruining that for me, Boat. <laughs> but anyway, let me just tell you this. When you're packing for a long trip like that, don't make video game consoles your first priority. Did you think about just selling the console and buying another one over there? It would have been smarter if I would have done that. Could you buy boat-sized clothes in Korea? No. I had to order lots of things from Amazon and have them shipped here or at various online retailers. Can you get them to ship to Korea? I had them. They, they would ship to my school. Uh -huh. Because my school had a definite post-deliverable address. That's not bad, though. Yeah. Were yes. they okay with you getting stuff? Yeah, they were fine with it. They, how, many, how many pairs of pleather pants did you have delivered to Korea? Zero. Yeah. Zero. I got some nice uh, cardigan sweaters. Now, why didn't that surprise me? Yeah, yeah. And, and you dated the women there, did you? No, well, I didn't wear the cardigan sweaters <laughs> no. too often. Yeah, but I guess as a teacher, you've got to look like a dork. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It comes with the territory. Did you ever team up the cardigan with the pants? Oh, man. Only my dreams. That's some kind of amalgamation that no one could see coming. It's like Johnny Rotten meets Mr. Rogers. <laughs> That's exactly right, but <laughs> Well, Aaron, we're here to talk about a different sort of odyssey, uh, but before we do, we're going to take you on a Canadian odyssey. Yes, sir, are <laughs> Listen, we? when you visit the Great White North, you go there to see the sights. What do they got up there, Aaron? Snow. Snow. Um, good Medicare up there, good yeah. medicine, you know. Yeah. Uh, are, there, are there landmarks in Canada? Yeah. You know, you drive six kilometers past the igloo, and then you turn at the polar bear on the right. Well, listen. And then you're in Toronto like that. That's when you're you up there, there seeing those sights, yeah. you got to make it through to the great city of Toronto where Retro Rewind is headquartered. Because if you're in the market for anything related to Commodore computers or Tandy Color computers, but we're an Amiga show. We're going to keep it Commodore-focused. Mm -hmm. Retro Rewind has got you covered. Whether you need a recap job on your system, whether you want an accelerator, whether you even need some ROMs. A recap job? <laughs> That's what with. they call it, Is right? That what they, when they know call, it when, when, they, when somebody will call up Frank in the dead of the night and just breathe heavily, Frank, <laughs> I need a recap job. Stop. And Frank, you can see Frank, I'm going to do another one. Okay, time to make the donuts. So I want you to go over to RetroRewind.ca and just avail yourself of the many things they have over there. And it doesn't matter if you have the lowly Commodore 64, as you referred to it the other week, or if what? you have a real computer like the Amiga. You can have anything done to any of your machines that is humanly possible from all the, the crack jobs. team. Yeah, all the all jobs. All the jobs done. Yeah. He'll recap, recap job, repair job. Just put just put a verb in front of the word job, yeah, and Frank will it. take care of you. Listen, aside from repairing and recapping, he'll sell you quality parts. He'll sell you accelerators. He will sell you SD card solutions. He will sell you... Uh, ways that you could put CF cards in your various machines with a bonus of a better buffer, more stability. There's a million different things you can get from Frank, and you know he's gold because we've seen him in action. 
This guy's got decades of experience in repair, and he's a class act. And all of his crew up there, all the all the other Torontoians, they're all top shelf boat. That's we right. We know them. We love them. So, RetroRewind.ca, use the promo code AMIGOS10 at checkout. Save yourself 10%. We thank RetroRewind. You know, I want to step in real quick here. We're sort of we're sort of skipping through the news today, but I do want to mention this because it's sort of important, boat. Because you're going to be making, uh, 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 can we talk about the appearance at this point? Heck yeah! I don't know what we're talking about. Well, your big appearance on the on the 100th episode. Oh yeah! Let's talk about that because that's sort of important. So uh, as you know, uh, a couple of years ago, me and Neil from RMC started a podcast called This Week in Retro. Mm-hmm. Like most podcasts I do, I quickly became bored and quit. And uh, but the show carries on and is much more successful, much like ARG presents, much more successful since I dropped out of the picture. However, the uh, fine guys over there, uh, Agama, Velociraptor, Neil, they said, John, why don't you come back? It's episode one hundred, yeah. uh, and 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 rejoin and and talk about your roots on the show. So I went back on there. And uh, it is dropping. By the time you hear this, it will probably have dropped. It comes out on Saturday morning. Uh, if you're interested in hearing what we have to say about the retro news of the day, uh, you can check it out. Did you call that dude a gema on the show? Is that that's what it's called, right? No, I, he has a name. A gema. That's not, no, Agama. I've never heard him called that except by us. That's because we can't remember nothing. It's, I mean, just it's like, like it's like the third guy in retro hour. Dinosaur it's like Dan Rappy and that other guy. No, wrong show. You said every time. You know, it's, listen. A hundred episodes, and you were, how many others were you involved in over there, you figure? Uh, I was involved like the first, 75? The, no, the, like fir- the first half, the first 50 oh, the or first, so. They've done 50 without you? you yeah. Know? I remember when you told me about that pitch back in the day, and I was like, I don't know, Boat, but you guys made it work, and uh, so that, and that's sort of your baby. I mean, it was your baby from Joe Street, but Boat has all sorts of babies. That's, that's true. But this I is, got a woman in every port. This baby, he jumped out of the womb and just took off flying. Yeah. So congratulations to uh, to uh, Dave Velociraptor, Gima, Neil uh, for their hundredth episode, and congratulations to you, Boat, for uh, being the guy who literally built the ship, put the ship on course, and then just as the ship was taken off the port, lunged out of the back of the ship and drowned. That's my move. <laughs> That's my move. Boat. And while we're on the subject, since we're kind of skipping past news this week, uh, just a couple reminders. Uh, go over and help the Retro Hour guys. Uh, they've got their book uh, kickstarting now. And if you're into the Stephen Jones uh, monitor gimmick, that's also still in the works. If you want to go over and fire that thing up, uh, he's taking cash on that as well. So a lot of Amiga stuff going on now on on uh, the old Kickstarter as well. So certainly uh, something you want to look into if that's your bag. Yeah, and we'll be back with a full slate of news next week. Yeah, no news this week at all. Nothing to even look at. Nothing. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. All right, Aaron, let's talk about Odyssey. There it was, Boat. The love theme from Odyssey. Hey, pretty good love theme there, Boat, if you want my opinion. Now... As I always do, you know, this is the what fifth Odyssey related game we've covered. I in think the past this is. Month. I think this is the last one we've run the table on Odyssey games. Unless they start, we start covering Odyssey two games on here, That's we can only hope, up. man. So, uh, had you played or heard of this one before this week? Never. Me either, which is surprising to me. So, uh, 
Uh, this one released in '95. So this is late in the part, late in the game. There, both two discs, uh, and this one was developed by an outfit called Unconscious Minds. Hey, I think I know them. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and was uh, that's all they did? This is it. This is their baby, and published by Audiogenic. It's funny. I was looking at Audiogenic. I was like, eh, they didn't do much wrong. They did tons, and to name some of the stuff they did. Remember that cricket game we played? They did that. They did a bunch of cricket games. They did Bubble and Squeak. International Soccer, Exile, Exterminator, Rat Trap, Loops, and Super Loops. Where are those games? I want to play those. Wembley, International Soccer, Super Tennis Champs, a ton of like, if you like soccer, if you like cricket, right? Sport, or any sort of sports, Well, it's it mostly like. soccer and cricket, and a little bit of tennis, but mm-hmm. those, are the, those are their babies right there. So this was, uh, I don't know, this is a little bit out of their wheelhouse, I guess, in terms of publishing. Uh, this is a one-player game. Uh, coded by a fellow named uh, Chris Melinder and graphics by Reese Millage. Now, as far as I can tell, this is the only thing they have credited for on the Amiga boats. The credits is real easy to go through. This is an Amiga exclusive that has never been ported uh, as well, boat. This is an ECS-OCS joint, which we'll get into that in a little bit, because I'm sure you've got something to say about that. Uh, this game, uh, according to notes I read on uh, Hall of Light, when they started this game, it started as a sideways scrolling uh, Mario clone. <laughs> so clearly, they changed up pretty early on. I got there about two weeks. It says, uh, and that's the long and short of that. Now, uh, this is is a platform, a puzzle platform. I guess is the best way to describe this game. I think the perfect way to describe it. When you say both, I would call this a puzzle. All right, and so right. just because we always like that, we have to pigeonhole and put everything in a, its little package. Uh, so boat, uh, this thing hones in the view. It comes up. Your initial thoughts on the opening, the music, the uh, the uh, uh, the way it's handled there at the beginning. Let's just get your pre your. Pre-thoughts, if you will. I started out with a very positive impression of this game. Okay, good. Uh, I thought graphically, your main character moves and is drawn very, very well. Yeah. There's a lot of Amiga games that fit this bill where you can tell getting the main character to move and to look just right was of paramount importance. Yeah. So when I first started playing this game, I was moving around. You know, I'm trying to come to grips with controls. It's a platformer. Yeah. And I'm impressed. You know, it's it's an up it's an up to jump type game. Your button swings your sword, and uh, I was able to jump. I was able to swing my sword, and and things acted like I felt like they should. So my initial impressions were pretty positive. I, I thought that the uh, you know the first level. Uh, which uh, I, I sort of uh, cheated and looked online and found out there is an order that you need to play these levels yes. in. It's, it's very much like a Mega Man game, and that the idea behind this game is that you are uh, you've got a, an overall sort of map, and uh, it's a it's a neat graphical effect. What you see is the shadow of somebody's hand is kind of passing through all of these. It's pointing at these different worlds. Yeah, and uh, you select a world and you go in. And uh, you 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 get a power, and you go on to the next world. Um, so I thought that that part that part looked cool. So five minutes into the game, I was completely on board with Odyssey. Yeah. I want to say right out of the gate, the uh, opening screen effect with the hand is one of the better ones you'll see. Yeah, it is outstanding. It's it, in fact, this game for an ECS OCS game is r- graphically. Stunning. Stunning. I mean, it, it's uh, stunning. 
Uh, and, I'm, and I don't just arbitrarily throw that out. Mm -hmm. This is a top shelf. The graphs of this are top shelf. They, you could have said this is an AGA game, and I wouldn't have thought twice. It's, I would have. I, I would have. I mean, this is the sort of game that I expect from an AGA yeah, this game. This is like. I mean, it's. Uh, this is like. Uh, I mean, I, I, when I think of the finest looking ECSOCS games, I think of one of those I think about always. And sort of this game is a is Lionheart, and this is. It's not that, but it's it's not the same kind of art. But it's, it's a, every bit as impressive. Yeah, it's a in different. A lot of ways. It's a different art style. Yeah. But if you look at the main character, I mean, if you look at the care of the shading yeah. and the animation, I mean, it's unbelievable. It is. It really, really looks good. And it's not just your character or the boards. It's everything from the enemies, the way they move, the the uh, even the stones, the way they look. Stones are a big part of yeah. this game. And yes, they are, boy. Uh, so, like Boat said, I, it's exactly the way I took it. When I first saw it, I was like, holy moly, this is one. And it feels good. I think the... It, I think... I, I want to say it controls well, but we'll kind of get into that. But I mean, I, th I thought it was a f the controls feel okay, you know, the jumping and stuff it's, uh, felt felt okay. I would have liked to have had pad support for this, but I, I, I was pretty impressed with the game out of the gate. So uh, the game uh, uh, basically has a backstory. It's funny, this thing has a four-page manual and there's one page of backstory. So I'm going to go through this real quick okay, so we know what's going on. The hero of this game... Uh, has a, has some interesting family issues. This is basically the description pulled off Moby. His uncle was mur his uncle murdered his father, who also happens to be the king. Now, after a few years in exiles, the obvious goal is to take back the throne by killing this evil man. Of course, the only way you can do this is to go through this world and gather the power crystals you need that are spread all over the kingdom. So it's one of those shticks. Uh, you've got to go around, like Boat said, to visit these different places on the map. Now, Boat also mentioned something that's vitally important in this, which is the order of, of which you're supposed to go. Now, this game will let you pick any place you want to go at the beginning. And uh, if you don't, if you're not reading instructions, not up on things, you'll just pick a place. You'll go, you'll be, and you'll get there, and then you'll be like, I can't do anything. This happened to me immediately because it's one of the places you can go do stuff. They're not. Uh, to me, at least, they weren't evident right away. I think there's two places you can go and immediately do stuff. And so when you don't know which ones to go to, it can be unbelievably frustrating. This was a, I mean, again, instruction manual aside, this was unbelievably stupid. They should have put these in some, giving you an overworld map that lets you go anywhere is great, except for the places you can't go and they're still there. I didn't like that. They could have done something, anything, to close those places off. Any thoughts on that? This game tries to be, like I said, it's it's the, the, the analog that most people will recognize is a game like Mega Man, okay, where you have an overworld map and you're collecting powers. These powers allow you to morph into different animals. Right. Um, what, to do this in a way that's effective, what you do is you still allow the player to progress through a level to a certain extent, but as you unfold the level, there need to be sort of signs that maybe you should go back and you should get something else. What this game does instead is that it just immediately walls you off yeah. from doing anything. Yeah. Uh, I would not have done it that way. Uh, I mean, it works. Well, you know right away you can't go there. But it defeats the purpose of having the map and everything it else. Does. They should totally. have just made it a linear game. Yeah, or at least, I mean, you know, even like if you play like a Mario game with the, the, an overworld map, 
There's just places you can't. They're blocked with boulders or something. Right. Something like that. Right. But know? when you do that, there there will be you know ten places you can go and two of them you can't. Right. And that's the kind of ratio that you want because when you as a player you're greeted with an overworld map, you want to really feel like you can go to most of those places and maybe the places that are blocked off, you're like, oh, I want to play this so I can see what those places yeah. are too. Uh, in this game, you you have no such luxury. Yeah. So you're railroaded into taking a taking your your position in this first level. Okay. And this is really where the problems with this game start to come to the fore. Uh, this game is your classic example of European level design, and that they've taken a game like Metroid or a game like Symphony of the Night, and they've made it crap. Um, much like Yojo, there's a lot of there's a lot of getting lost. There's a lot of repetitive, unnecessarily difficult platforming where you have to jump between platforms. Uh, and the enemies in this game are quite possibly the most frustrating, least amount of uh, fun enemies that I've ever seen. Because here's yeah. the thing. Here's the thing. When you've got a bad mamma jamma protagonist okay this is a guy he looks like he's up for some some killing right he's got a big sword he swings it he looks cool when he does it yeah what you want to do is you want to get in there and you want to slice some suckers up you want to see some monsters you want to see some flying stuff heck even give me a couple bats i don't care i'll tell you what you don't want to see you don't want to see spiders that, that kill you. You don't want to see rolling stones that kill you. You don't want to see little frog guys that you feel bad killing that, that when you, you certainly can. The monster design in this game is, I mean, it is the worst monster design that I've ever seen in a game like this. Why do you think they made the monsters the way they did? I would love to... I would love to say you're wrong on anything you just said. Because I, I really wanted to like this game a lot. It's got a, so much going for it. But listen, the, even as soon as you start playing the game right away, you you know this is goofy. The very first guy you fight that has a scimitar, a scimitar, whatever you want to call it. I call it scimitar. Whatever it is, you walk, and he looks like a little geek. Mm-hmm. And you're a big, cool-looking guy right. with swords. And you pound away this guy for like two minutes. Yeah, and this and is the way just blocks. And now there's a gimmick to it, but it's still there's no easy way to do there's it. There's a gimmick, but it's a dumb gimmick. Yeah, and so you know, I'll, right away I'm like, oh man. And then here comes the spider. Okay, spiders are so small, they're almost impossible to hit. They come right up on you. It's your classic Lionheart type little guy, you well, know, because you know how Lionheart yeah, has the big the enemies Lionheart, that spit out those. These little guys are ones. harder to hit than those, and also they took more hits. Mm-hmm. And I hope you like, much like my daily trips to the prisons, lots of people pounding rocks, if you know what I mean, because there's a lot of that going on in this game. The rocks are relevant to the game, and so part of me enjoys them as a as a puzzle element, but it it's tedious, I guess is where I'm going. I both called it to a certain degree. Where are, the, where are we fighting all these geeks? You know, now... I did watch this game on up the line to see what the enemies in the future levels went. There's a lot of rock killing. Right. A, I mean, they're really 
There, I didn't see a ton of like Listen, what I would call awesome looking enemies. This to fight. looks exactly like what somebody might come up with if they were trying to design a Mario game and two weeks later decided to turn it into something else. Because you've got this full game that really offers you no variety. We talk about this week in, week out. What do you want out of a game at the end of the day? At the end of the day, you just want to have some variety. You want to go from stage to stage. You want to see different things and you want to do cool stuff. This game has the cool stuff, this part down. In each stage, you get a power-up that allows you to transform into a different animal. Like Beastmaster. Each yeah. one of these animals is very well animated. You, it looks cool, yeah. and you can, you can do fun things. However, to get these power-ups, you have to go through some of the worst design stages that I've yeah. ever seen. My, these are stages that every move you make you have to memorize. There's no such thing as emergent gameplay. And the, the way these levels are designed, they're purposefully designed to be frustrating. They're purposefully designed to be difficult and to kill you over and over again without mercy. These stages, this game is not fun. And that's the worst thing that I can say about any game is that it's not fun. And it's the classic example of a game where these are obviously talented artists. These guys are, I mean, yeah. some of the best they artists of skill, ever. Yeah. And they have ability to design mechanics because the mechanics in this game are sound. The jumping, the platforming, the sword swinging, all of that feels extremely natural. Where they fail is the, is the Achilles heel of so many of these games is just the absolute horrible level design. I will I'm not going to totally agree with you. I'll tell you why. There are some, some of the puzzle elements in this are incredibly clever. And when I say clever, I mean like, uh, you know, there are lots of levels where stuff rocks roll around and you're in boulders and you're having to line these stuff up and hit levers to send them down these shafts to act, activate buttons and mechanisms. They're real neat. There's an area, you could actually, at one point, I don't know how far you got into this, I managed to get past the first world. So mm -hmm. I, you know, and then, but, and to do that, by the way, I mean, listen. To do that, I had to go watch a walkthrough to see. Right, how, and that, that's that's when I'm out. That's I, well, when I'm, I'm out. But I did it because I wanted to see what was what would happen on the next level. Uh, and uh, when you get to the end of the level, you'll end up picking up a power. Now this in the first level, it's that you uh, you get uh, the one I did was grasshopper. Yeah, right? I think that's the only one you can. And get. so, so to hit the, I think it's F seven will turn you to back and forth from a grasshopper to a guy. Mm -hmm. And then there's a cool little cutscene, which you'll get sick of because you're cutting scene in a lot. Right. You know, and, and you usually you're not under the gun, so you can reach over and hit F7, but it's still it does get kind of old to watch that cutscene over and over and over. Uh, but like I said, I had to I had to basically watch someone else get there because there was an area I just couldn't figure out what to do. Now I'm not commander gameplay, okay? I'm not and and it does take a special type of person to play these games to get good at them. You know, and it takes a lot of memorization and stuff. And I thought that was fun, and I thought a lot of the puzzles were clever. What this game reminded me of in some ways, Boat, and I think you were absent the week we played, but it reminded me a little bit of, of some of the elements of Shadow of the Beast 3. Those heavy action puzzle elements mm -hmm. that made Shadow of the Beast 3 the most fun gameplay-wise of the Shadow of the Beast series. Yeah. This one had, goes expounds that quite a bit, and the they, they utilize elements in the dungeon Everything from the rolling rocks and the little little there's these little like rock creatures that rock around and you can use them. You have to time stuff to when they walk across stuff. You have to make that part of the puzzling element. And I like that part. I liked all that stuff. But 
this game had some stuff that I don't like. And it did have checkpoints, which we often get on games about. Yeah, it did cool. have checkpoints, yes. But the levels in this are immense, mm-hmm. as usual. And they're so long and mazy. And this is another thing. Boat mentioned it. I mean, listen, I, it is what it is. This is the European philosophy on these types of games. And I don't know if it's because I'm an American or maybe I'm just a dumb guy or whatever, but I, it's too long. Cut these things down. Give me some sense of accomplishment, for yeah. God's sakes. And I and again, I just think that it, it's sort of like, you know, we, we because, well, I can only speak for myself, but, you know, we sort of were able to excise this period of platform game from our minds. Because if you're coming from something like the Coco, and then you go straight to, you know, if you don't play a lot of these Euro platformers, and your next exposure to a platforming game is something like Super Mario World or Super Metroid, or anything like that, you're not going to... It's it, There wasn't this sort of iterative process. Now, this game came out in 1995. There is absolutely no reason for levels to exist in this form in 1995. By this point, most people that played games had seen examples of effective level design in a game like this because you can absolutely make a puzzle platformer with the same elements. You know, absolutely. all those rock... Yeah puzzles and stuff like that, I think that's super cool. What I think would have been cooler is maybe substitute the rocks for something else on other levels, because you can still implement those those same types of things, but you've got to give more variety in your environments. I yeah. mean, essentially in each level, you have a very Shadow of the Beast slash Lionheart, it's a very sort of Roger Dean organic landscape yeah. part overworld, and then you go into a cave, and all of the caves look the same. Okay. Yeah, although they sound cool. And when you go in the first couple of times, you're like, man, this is really neat. Yeah. But I mean, they are, there's a lot of sameness. There's no doubt about yeah. that. And again, you know, the, the platforming part of the game where you're running around, you're jumping, you're swinging your sword, that's the part of the game that really could have shined because, like I said, you've got this awesome-looking dude that's running around. I mean, he looks super, super awesome. Again, yeah. I come back to a game like it's like Super Castlevania Four or something like that, where you are, you know, whatever Belmont you are, and you just look like a freaking awesome guy running around. This game has that same feel where you just feel like, man, I want to tear some suckers up, and there's no suckers to tear up. You got those Cutlass guys that are freaking just annoying. The the the, the gimmick is you wait for them to go and then you hit them and you've got to do that four or five times just to kill them then you have these utterly defenseless frogmen that you feel bad about killing and you've got your rocks those are the enemies in this game that's that's i mean it's such a wasted opportunity how how sick did you get of hearing people go oh yeah the sound effects when you don't have music in the background newsflash new background music in this game you become very attuned to the repetitive nature of the sound effects, and you become very sick of them very I, quickly. I think. Let me ask you. I, I, for, I want to say two things because I, I want this sense. I don't want this thing to sound like a burial. There's a lot to enjoy in this game if it's your type of game. It's a beautiful game. It's clearly, like you said, done by people that were very good at what they do. How many people do you figure worked on Metroid back in the day? Like two. I mean, those Japanese teams were not nearly as big as you think they were. I mean, they were full of industry veterans who knew what the heck they were doing. But these were people that worked for Nintendo had made games. We look; these yeah. guys have no credit. Right. You're, I mean, this so is as exactly a first effort. Sure. This is great. Yes, absolutely. You know, but as an end product, as a game player, I don't give a right. damn. Right. I know. I know. Okay? I'm not justifying it, but don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying, you have games like this. You almost have to go into them. 
with uh, the notion that you're, you know, you're not every, not every time there's going to be a Worms that just some guy comes up to you and says, Here, here's Worms, it's an all-time great game. You're going to get games that some guys are great at graphics and music or whatever, but they're not necessarily the best level designers. Or maybe they're not the best game designers, as you know, as a big picture type thing. Yeah, and and normally this sort of thing doesn't bother me as much as it does in this game. The reason why it bothers me more in this game is because the graphics are so yeah, good, and because it. the core mechanics are so good. That's it. I mean, I, I listen. I, I knew you were not super happy with this one, and there's, but I mean, it, that, that's the frustrating thing. If we're going to come in here and murder a game, remember that horrible game that was supposed to have the. Uh, uh, the uh, Blade Runner influences mm-hmm. that you know, we yeah. played. That game was easy to murder. It sucked, and it was overhyped crap. Yeah. This game doesn't suck. All the elements Switchblade is what you're thinking Switch of. Switchblade. Yeah. All the elements in this game tell me, hey, this could be a great game. And it... I didn't hate it as much as Boat, but it is frustrating, and, it, and it's not the most fun. Like... This is not Lionheart. This is not one of the best uh, platform puzzlers you're ever going to play. But it could have been way better than almost anything, given the right direction and the right pre-planning to mm. make a game like this work. <clears throat> um, the The game has an ending. Did you watch the ending of this game? I watched a little bit of it as I was putting together the Patreon list. It's uh, It, it kind of gives you an epilogue, right? Yeah. The game... Has a lot of uh, it has a, a lot of gameplay time. It's not a short game. You do get a lot of, of, of gems that allow you to change and stuff. Like we mentioned, grasshoppers, birds, boulders, bugs. You can change in the stuff, and the powers are cool. Uh, it would have been nice if you could map this stuff to a joystick. Of course, we couldn't. This is the Amiga from '95, but the function keys are a good. It's better than nothing. They're not. Yeah. They're easy to hit. I didn't have too much trouble. Like I said, I didn't get to the second world in this. I felt pretty good about that. Uh, but it, it's a, well, the, again, the puzzles you know, are tough. That's the thing. If you're having to use a walkthrough to get to the second world, then I don't think you've actually gotten to the second well, world. you're not wrong. But, I mean, I wanted to I wanted to have my hat hang on something. And so I, I, I gutted through it. But it's difficult. Yeah. It's a difficult game. To, aside, take everything else away from what we said. The puzzles in this are not easy. No. Some they, of them are, I think they're very clever. And, and death is always right around the corner because you're manipulating these boulders that will, by the way, crush you and destroy you, you know, when they turn into their li- the little guys and stuff like that. Plus, a lot of times switches will activate poison darts. Oh, yeah. Um, and they, yeah, there's darts. And there is a lot of cheapness. Uh, there's areas where you open a, a portal and you just fall to your death in mm-hmm. spite. Flying jumps. There's uh, one thing that just irritated me. It's the death of a thousand cuts. You know, a boulder just runs into your foot and does a little bit of damage over and over and over. And you're just like, oh, God. You know, g- give me a break on the continual uh, uh, boulder action mm-hmm. here. Or those little geeks that you just, they take so long to kill. It's such a pain in the butt. Like, your very first guy you fight shouldn't be that well, big a pain in the I mean, we, we've talked about this before, but video games at their core are a power fantasy. You want to oh, feel yeah. like you want to feel like you're a you know an awesome dude doing awesome stuff. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you are you know playing as little worm blowing other worms up, or if you're playing as like a Shadow of the Beast guy, you know, wrecking house. In this game, you feel like the world's weakest dude with a sword because literally everything kills you, no matter how small or tiny it is. Yeah. This guy, I will say, this this does, is this the answer to your age-old question about the controls in Lionheart? Because this guy, 
you literally walk up and you sword yeah. stuff. And if it. you could combine, somehow mystically combine this control scheme with Lionheart, I would freaking be over the moon well, for Well, I wish this guy had more moves. Like, what you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It would be Lionheart cool if he could do... that kick that Yeah, or like do. the downward thrust, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, this guy needs that stuff. Sure, sure. And, and so that's... But I mean, so this is... The point I'm making here is this is the... This is the the yin to the yang of Lionheart. Lionheart, the controls are more complex, but it's harder. Mm-hmm. This one, the controls are dirt simple, but he's limited. Yeah. And this guy needs something to deal with all the crap that's so small. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're right. You feel like a dork crushing this small crap. This is a strange game to to give a rating to or or uh, uh, a solid opinion. There's a lot of parts of this I really like, but. Uh, like Boat said, is the game fun? Is really the end of it. It's not what I would call big fun. Uh, jumping around and, and, and getting lost, it's not that much fun to me. And also going to levels where I can't possibly advance without knowing how, that wasn't that fun. Having, again, the same old story, why can't we have some stuff at the beginning that makes yeah. it easy? And the only thing I can think of is I honestly believe mm. that these people were living in this bubble where the only games they played were other European design games. Like the whole world of Japan and everything that was going on over there just had no impact on them. And this is sort of the the evolution of games of the old get lost Euro platformer. I mean, this is sort of the apex of that because like you said, it looks great, it plays great, but that level design is still constant. I think a lot of this stems, I mean, it reminds me, we, we play a lot of uh, ZX games, for example, mm-hmm. right? And there was a there was that value market where you would pay a, t- a couple pounds and get a cassette, and you would get a lot of gameplay yeah, out of that. Yeah, five hundred twelve screens. And I think that mentality moved into the sixteen bits in a weird way. You're absolutely right. You know, and I think that what you're looking at here, as beautiful as it is, is a throwback game. And but unfortunately, everyone else had left town. And oh, by the way, this cost. 40 pounds mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, man, they're, they're paying 40. They got to get all kinds of money's worth out of this thing. Yeah. You know, I read some very amusing reviews on Lemon Amiga. Um, one said that the the sort of uh, wind howling and no, you know, uh, just sort of bleak sound effects reminded him of being an Amiga user in 1995 when everyone else had left town and it was only him. <laughs> there you go. Um, I did look to see how this fared. I was really interested. I had a feeling it would do well, and it, it did pretty well in the uh, review category. Lemon uh, gives this a, a very high 7.97. We've covered a lot of games from the 10 down into the 7 area. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing to me that this thing's hovered around 8, and we had never even heard of it or mm-hmm. ever played it. So this is one that was certainly under the radar. Uh, the magazines were fairly kind to this. Amiga Format gave it an 85, Amiga Power a 79, uh, AUI gave it an 89, CU Amiga gave it an 88, uh, The One gave it an 89, The Average Magazine rating an 86, so that's incredible consistency mm-hmm. across the magazines. Mm-hmm. I look at these scores and I think of 95 and I think what was going on, I mean I would not, I don't think any of these are scores where I would going to bury the magazine. Mm-hmm. If you looked at this and put it in the magazine and you need something positive to put out there, this is a good game to, to hang your hat on because it looks nice and it plays nice. Yeah. And, and, but we, and we're mean, not European. So and if you're, if you're an Amiga owner and you're looking for something to play in 1995, the pickings are slim. Right. And so like this is probably one of the best games to come out in yeah. 1995. I mean we've sort of kind of buried it, but I mean we've played much, much worse than this. Oh, yeah. 
You know, it's just that we didn't find it particularly fun. And if you're the right kind of person that's into these exploration games and you're into the p- real puzzly stuff, the real deep, this is a deep thinker, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but you've got to be able to put up with the crap. Right. You know, right. How do we do on Discord on this? We get the action? Yeah, we got one review from Graham W. Vebke, who I believe I nominated this game I for the selection did. committee. He says, this puzzle platform game. Uh, which is greatly influenced by the BBC microgame Exile, will frustrate people. It's not always apparent what you need to do, and the game doesn't follow the standard Amiga platform, say, like Super Frog. I know that some people won't like it because of this, and because it's a game where you need to commit to putting RPG amounts of time into the game to learn the levels before you start to get back what it offers. At the start of the game, using the shadow hand, you select your starting area. It takes many attempts at the game to find that you need to acquire skill crystals in a specific order. It's best to start in the Aperia area to gain the first crystal. This important crystal gives you the ability to turn into a grasshopper with a giant leaping ability. With this skill, you can gain other skill crystals to transform you into a squirrel, a spider, a bird, etc. The game is not without its flaws. It does lack in-game music and the sound effects do get repetitive. The combat in this game is probably the weakest part, but you will need to get good at it because it is required to solve the puzzles. The controls at time can be a little bit hit and miss. However, I am drawn to games like this, and despite the flaws, I enjoy this game immensely. If you have less patience and forgiveness, you will bury this game. Many people (laughs) may not have known about it because it was a late 1995 release on the Amiga, and to my knowledge, it is the only full game written by Chris and Reese. I wonder if this game would have been a hit on something like a PlayStation or Saturn. A modern remake with some tweaks is perhaps in order. 7.5 out of 10. Well, it's funny. He mentioned a lot of the exact same. Basically, he likes it. But he knows he likes this game despite its flaws. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did say that people with a shorter retention would like it. That's us. Yep. Or bury it. Yep. Uh, and, uh, but I don't think we buried it. I don't think we buried it because I don't think it's a game that needs to be buried. It's just a flawed game. It and a, and it again, it's, it's the classic fans of the genre will appreciate no. it more yeah. than, than others. I think there are plenty of Amiga. If you haven't tried this one, I would try it. If for any reason, just to look at what was going on in 95, I mean... It's a shame that these guys didn't do more work because the the their abilities are outstanding. If I was if I was working for a large developer, you know, one of these corporate developers, and we were starting to get into the PlayStation era, you know, I would look at the I would look at this and I would say, listen, these guys have talent. Yeah. We need to get them teamed up with you know they've got something they can bring to our team. Let's let's work together. Well, I don't see this game this sort of game would not do well on the PlayStation or the Saturn. However. What you're looking at here is something you might get a lot of action on, say like the GBA. Mm-hmm. I could say I could see something like that working out real well for you. Yeah, because those kind of games worked on Eric. By the time the Sega, uh, uh, Saturn, and the PlayStation came around, they everything were, they was were moving not, towards I mean, 3D. you did have your Abe's Odysseys and stuff, so there were still some around. But for, I mean, for the most part, people were getting out of this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did look this up on eBay. I was interested to see what this was going for. Now you've got some crazy uh, uh, prices, so. I found two sealed copies. I've seen a lot of sealed stuff coming around, so if someone wants to found something, um, you can buy this sealed. Uh, Seven hundred bucks or best offer. Wow. One hundred and thirty bucks or best offer. And then I've seen complete box. There were plenty of these things going for eighty dollars and below. You know, not too far below that. I saw one no box, thirty-two bucks. That's just a disc and a manual. The manual on this thing is thin. It's nothing to write home about. It's like a four pager. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are there were plenty of these out there, uh, Boat. I was surprised how many I saw. I mean, not in America, obviously, but I saw a lot of these things. So they're out there if you're interested in picking them up. Uh, but uh, 
it wouldn't be the worst thing to get. I mean, the box is nice. Uh, you know, the game is interesting, and graphically, it is uh, one of the better ones we've looked at. I mean, in terms of graphics, this is like lush uh, mm-hmm. for the Amiga. I think it's a real for the ECSOCS. This is another of your uh, ever popular daggers in the back of AGA. Well, it's, it's only because it's true. <laughs> there you go. The boat burial to end the review. All right, Aaron. Let's talk about what's been going on in the old YouTube channels. Let's get into it, Boat. We actually had a pretty good uh, pretty good week here. We've got three releases on the Amigos Retro Gaming channel. <laughs> I love the picture of you that pops up in there as I click on that. First, Boat, we uh, had a look on the Coco show this week at the Grand Prix Challenge. Tell me about it. We buried that, too, didn't we? Well, I, I, I liked it more than you did. Yeah. Uh, this is a Super Sprint-type game on the Coco. It's very bare-bones. Uh, but it was one of the first Coco 3 exclusive games that was released. So if you had a hankering towards the end of 86 to take advantage of your brand new system, uh, then you were sort of forced to buy this. Look at your hat, Boat. I look I just, awesome. I was just thinking as I watch us, watching us, that that could have been from any time in the last four years. <laughs> and I would have no idea when it was filmed. That's true. And so there it is. Except for the background, I would have no idea. But yeah, listen, Grand Prix Challenge. You can't go around the Coco. I didn't like this game at all. So I will say, so you and I love Diacom. God knows I love them. Mm-hmm. I did the stream on them, but yeah, I wasn't real impressed with that one. But get the full burial. You should talk about this boat. You put this up uh, because this is uh, per, uh, pertinent to our next episode of the Coco Show. Right. So next episode of the Coco Show, we are going to be doing Jumpin' Joey, the newest game from Australian wunderkind, Nicholas Morantes. The wunderkind, yes. And uh, this, uh, apparently, I play, this is the version one that has some screen flickering and other things that yeah. is not present in the upgraded version. So uh, I will be sending you that version, Aaron, to play. Very good. Post haste. Uh, and uh, you can check out Buck Owens's video, which Nick informed me we should use instead of my video because it does not include uh, those uh, those graphical Very glitches. Uh, you know, we, we should mention that Jumpin' Joey's, uh, as you mentioned, Nick Marinta's new game is available for purchase That's right, right now. You can pick it up right now at nicholasmarentes.org slash au. Yeah, but you got that memorized, No, eh? I totally made that up. Don't go there. <laughs> you can go, I think it's nick, nickmarentes.com. Just look up Nicholas Marentes and you'll come up. Uh, and we'll I'll put something in the show notes for it. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a good little Frogger clone with some added uh, Nick magic. Nick, I don't think we've ever played anything he did that we didn't like. I think I've liked everything he's ever done. And so, and listen, you can't have enough Frogger in your life. In this case, Jump Joy the Kangaroo. It should be a good time. Um, well, I guess me and I'll talk about what me and the Brent got up to uh, last week. So, uh, uh, we had a chat choice come up. And the chat, to my glee and delight and surprise, they actually picked. Uh, they actually picked a the TI nine on four A boat, the four A. And Brent, I got to give him the credit because I buried him earlier because he literally made my life not so good. But he picked a great game this week on the TI called the Moon Mine, which he also mispronounces the title on the opening. Moon Miner. Yeah, but uh, this game. Where does this been all my life? I played this and actually was so proud of my high score. I posted it. I never do that. This is a great game, the TI, and I really enjoyed my game, uh, which was called Micro Surgeon, 
a Imagic joint. You know, I'm a big fan of the Imagic. Oh, yeah. I know you dig them too. Yeah, I love Imagic. And this game is an advanced game in terms of it's what they put on that the programming involved. This must be off the charts. Yeah, I mean, think about all the game. This came out in 1984. Just look at all the stuff going on on the screen. And right it's all there. pertinent to the gameplay. Yeah. That's what makes it incredible. I mean, this guy, this is not uh, just. Uh, this isn't like the name of the game and some fake dials. Mm -hmm. This is all stuff that matters for the most part. So anyway, that's a TI-994A. Check it out, whether you're a TI fan or not, because maybe you'll become a TI fan. I'm becoming one very quickly, Boat, uh, from just playing on these various shows. Uh, we also had uh, two important releases over at the uh, Amigo Stream Team channel, Boat. And uh, I'm going to get into them. You know, my, it was a happening... Uh, last week, myself, uh, Amigo Aaron, and Professor Wrestling, Tim Legg, uh, journeyed over to the Taze Valley Park, uh, the BGW Arena for Battleground Wrestling's uh, Fall of Saigon, weirdly named. Uh, this was a night of wrestling action featuring a main event that included the Rock and Roll Express, the legendary Hall of Fame Rock and Roll Express. We had a good time. We had a great time. I'm sorry you missed this one, Boat. I hated to miss it. Because we had wrestlers all night long coming up to the table, chatting. We had a, we did an interview uh, with uh, the one and only Paparazzi. Friend of the show, Paparazzi. Paparazzi was in here earlier tonight. There's the Papa right he there. He looks like he's cutting a promo. Pa he is. He's cutting a promo right there. Uh, he also uh, he's probably going to have to beat up Hose for the bad things Hose said about him. He knows Hose isn't here for the, the review. Anyway, I, we posted both uh, both parts. This part one and two, I split it in half. Uh, also, it featured a, the very popular, the very lovely Dream Girl Ellie mm. in a mixed in a in a, 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 a mixed gender tag match. Wow! It was two, it was her it was a her and her partner uh, Loco Blanco, I think his name, taking on DD Trash, the two uh, members of that team. So that was a lot of fun. So if you're into pro wrestling. Or you just want to stick something in the background and listen to me and host jab run for about two and a half hours. This is the show for you, Boat. And the next BGW Wrestling Show for your edification, Boat, will be back to Taste Valley, and it'll be in February. All right. So we'll be back. I will be there for that It'll be a lot of fun. Boat, that is all we've got. All right. Well, Aaron, what is coming up on the show next week? Let's find out. Because once again, I can't remember what I put. Oh yes, GB Air Rally. I'm excited about this. This I, sounds this sounds like it might have some potential. I've played this on okay. stream. Okay. Well, uh, and in fact, that's where I first heard of it. This is a game. I believe it's from. I believe this is like an Activision game or something. And this was a uh, uh, an early release on the Amiga. So it, this I'm talking like maybe first couple years. So this is an early release, uh, and I believe this also has. Uh, releases on some of the 8-bit machines. I think maybe Atari might have gotten this one or uh, C64. Mm. So that'll be kind of fun to yeah. look into. So that's GB Air Rally next week, but that'll be dandy. I'm looking forward to that. All right. Well, well of course, we want to thank everybody for listening, as always. If you like the show and you want to support it, head on over to Patreon slash Amigos Podcast, and uh, you can throw us a couple bucks and become a member of our Discord community where the fun is on all day long. Aaron, let's say goodbye to Odyssey with the return of its haunting love theme and a special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and Twitch subscribers. Adios, everyone. Mm -hmm.